0: Um. So, yeah, I'm actually uh, going to pinch it here for Gary. Um, you know, please keep Gary in your prayers. Uh, you know, his physical condition has been really rough lately. Uh, the medication issues, trying to balance that has been really difficult for him. So um, continue to pray for him. And and actually, before I start, I'd like to just pray for this and also pray for him as well. So let's pray. Father, uh, we are grateful that you have given us your word, that we can learn from it, uh, Lord, we have been blessed by um, Gary giving us uh, the word and preaching on a consistent basis. And Lord, as as he's in this season of his life, Lord, it's becoming more and more difficult. And uh, we do continue to pray for healing in him. We look for a complete restoration, Lord, that he would have strength and steadiness. Uh, help him with his medication issues. If there are other um, options that are out there, Lord, that he would find those as well. We just ask that you guide, direct him, continue to use him for your kingdom, Lord. And Lord, as as I uh, look to bring the word out, I just ask that uh, you would be speaking boldly through me, that uh, my words wouldn't get in the way, but that it would be the Holy Spirit speaking to hearts. So Lord, um, help us through this, and uh, just bless this time. In Christ's name, amen so exodus 18 is where we are and off the top i probably have to apologize because there's no powerpoint that i provided to alex up there so if he provides anything it's going to be a bonus so uh hopefully i don't put you guys to sleep but you know it happens um so anyway in exodus uh, we have of course had the story of the deliverance of israel out of bondage in egypt And where we are at at this point, they have escaped Egypt, Uh, they've gone through the Red Sea, and they are in this wilderness experience of their lives as they are traveling to the Promised Land. Last week, um, Ron Frost was here, and he spoke about some testing that the Israelites went through in the desert when they were without water and uh, and how they handled that, which wasn't really well. But we learned from that, hopefully. So um, they also experienced, for the first time, them being attacked. And and that was uh, probably a scary experience for them. But... You know, from reading the Scripture, I think they handled that pretty well. So kudos to those guys. You know, hopefully we can also endure those attacks and and trust in the Lord during those times as well. So now we're in Exodus 18, and uh, we are at the point where um, Israel has arrived in the area of Mount Sinai, which is ultimately where the Ten Commandments are going to be presented. Um, But uh, this is before this happens. So in Exodus 18, I'm going to first read verses 1 through 8. So Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, I don't know why he says it twice, but there you go, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land and the name of the other, Eleazar. For he said, The God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. So we got this guy Jethro showing up, Moses' father-in-law. We haven't heard from him in quite a while. Um, This was all the way back in Exodus 4 was the last mention of him. And this was just at the time that Moses was leaving Midian, the land that he was living in for 40 years, and going to Egypt. And so um, Jethro stayed behind. Um, and what we, uh, what we find also is uh, that Zipporah, apparently, and, and the ter- their two children, they also did not accompany Moses into Egypt. Um, we weren't actually told this back in Exodus 4. All we were told is that Moses left with Aaron to go into Egypt. Um, he had taken Zipporah along, um, and they stayed at this camp. And, uh, and, then, and they had their two boys with them. But at some point, we find out here in, in Exodus 18 that Moses actually sent her back with the boys. And we can kind of speculate on that a little bit. I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about that in a second here. But I wanted to point out also with um, Jethro. We are first introduced to him back in Exodus 2, and he is introduced with a different name. And I don't know if I say it right, but it's Ruel, R-E-U-E-L. And the meaning of that is friend of God. And so the question becomes, why is he being called Jethro here? Um, And the name Jethro actually means uh, his excellence. So this could be a case like we see in Scripture, I think mostly in the New Testament, sometimes in the Old Testament too, where you have a name given to somebody and then they have another name. Uh, You have Jacob, who was known as Israel. Um, Saul, who became Paul. Uh, Who else is there? Give me one. Can you think of Abram. Oh, yeah. So Abram to Abraham. So Simon, Peter, absolutely. So you you do have those cases uh, of that happening, and, and it's possible that that could be the case. Um, I also want to remember, though, he was known as the priest of Midian. So Midian is this this land he lives in, and um, it sounds from that description that he was in a position of prominence. So it could also be that by calling him Jethro, his excellence, that it's more of a title um, that's been given to him, similar to uh, Pharaoh, if you think about do we know Pharaoh's name throughout Exodus? We, we never were told what his name was. We just know him as Pharaoh. So he could also be known as his excellence. So whether that is the case or not, um, he does come there with that kind of different name, which is unusual. Now with Zipporah, uh, last time we saw her was back in Exodus 4, as I said. And it was kind of this uh, strange situation that that Greg uh, agonizingly kind of tried to describe to us uh, this a situation of circumcision that occurred with one of their kids. I'm just going to read that real quick here, um, Exodus 4, 24 through 26, it says, "...at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met uh, him," being Moses, "...and sought to put him to death." So this was a, a critical time for Moses. For some reason, God wanted to put him to death, and then we find out why. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. So with um, as we, we're not told which kid this is, by the way, uh, but Gershom was the oldest. So chances are, if both kids were there, uh, that likely it was Eleazar, the, the second kid. Um, and but what we do glean from this is that apparently Moses had not properly followed God's laws in uh, circumcising at least this one child and you know the the law made it very clear that this was an important thing for the Israelites to do and it's supposed to be done on the eighth day of the for the child but for whatever reason uh, Moses didn't do it and and I, I kind of just was speculating about this so I hope you don't mind me speculating but I think there's some Some things that we can learn about, you know, God along the way as we speculate sometimes. So with uh, Zipporah, my thought was, well, maybe she was against it, you know, because she came from this land of Midian, which was actually a pagan land. And you know Moses ends up marrying her. We we don't really know what her faith was. I mean, she could have been you know she obviously wasn't raised as an Israelite um, because she was not with the Israelites in Egypt. And so I can I just kind of picture that you know the first time Moses follows through with this with Gershom and he circumcises the kid, she just looks like this is barbaric. What are you doing? You know, and and I can see that maybe you know when Eleazar comes along, it's like she's saying hey, you know, you better not do it for for this child. And then Moses relents and says, okay, I I won't. Um, Did that really happen? I don't know. But it made me think about, you know, what is it or, or who is it that comes into our life and causes us to compromise our faith? I mean, this was really important that Moses follow through with circumcision to the point we hear where we're told that, you know, God was ready to kill him for not doing it. And so... So that sometimes we have things, you know, people in our lives that, that come into place and, and can challenge our faith as well. I mean, it, it could be our friends. It could be our, our classmates, our coworkers, or more intimately, like, um, you know, what Moses was with his own family, right, his wife. Um, it could even be our children. Our children could... Uh, have us compromise um, our faith in some way. And so we have to be careful about that. We have to remember, you know, what Jesus said, is that, you know, he's really created us as Christians to even be more, you know, what our beliefs are more important than even our relationships with our own family um, when it comes down to being faithful. So just a little side thought on that. The other thought I had was that perhaps Moses was just discouraged with life. Um, you know, here he had these, uh, this, this great, uh, you know, life that he had in Egypt and now he, then he's 40 years in the desert. You know, what happened with that? Um, part of me made me think, well, that wasn't the case. And when I thought about that, I looked at the names of these two, um, Gershom and Eleazar. And, and I thought, you know, it kind of shows through the names and what they explain in scripture as being the explanation for those names that perhaps he did have his eyes on God. So Gershom means a sojourner, and a sojourner is someone who resides in a temporary place. So, I mean, Moses' home really was with the Israelites, and and he seems to have carried that over um, into, you know, even being out in in this experience 40 years away, that he remembered where he came from. So he was a sojourner. Um, He was away from his people, the people of God, um, but he didn't forget them. And, you know, as Christians, we are also sojourners. Um, we're, we're called aliens and strangers in this land. And, and I pulled out a couple scripture references just to, to illustrate that. 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, it's like sojourners, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And then in Hebrews 11, we're told about the faith of Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, and Sarah. And then right after those verses, it says this. It says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers, that's again sojourners, on earth. People who say such things show that they were looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So us as Christians, we are sojourners here on this earth. This earth is not our home. You know, we are, in in a sense, aliens here. Uh, the things that the world said that says is good and right, it's not always necessarily the case when it comes to God's word. And so we long for our heavenly kingdom. We long for being with our Lord, and that He'll make all things right. And moving on to Eleazar, his name means God is my help. Um, And it's not exactly clear what uh, Moses is referring to when he talked about, uh, you know, being saved from Pharaoh. Um, I can't remember exactly what it said here. He says, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. So some there's different opinions on this. Some think that it um, that Eleazar didn't actually get his name. Until this circumcision experience, and it was in anticipation of of uh, Moses going into Egypt and facing Pharaoh, and that he had this expectation of of being uh, conquering or just overcoming what's going to be before him. Um, Others uh, look at this like he didn't get his name till after the plagues had occurred, and then they've been carried through the Red Sea, like it like you know they waited till the uh, pharaoh had been thoroughly defeated um, my thought was that it was that he may have been just looking at i mean some of the circumstances from his life earlier um could be his birth right i mean when he they had to put him in the basket and and he was uh, let go to go down or to be in the river there and then found by uh, pharaoh's daughter there and you know, that was a saving experience because what that was supposed to happen was Moses was supposed to be killed. So he was, in that sense, rescued from the sword of Pharaoh. Or it could have been when he left the land um, after trying to take things into his own hands, which we'll talk about a little bit uh, later. Um, and in that case, you know, he also was delivered from Pharaoh because Pharaoh wanted to kill him. From that, so, so there could be that kind of looking back and then looking forward. So, I, I bring up those two things, and I know I spent probably too much time on it, but um, just to say that, you know, it it seems on the surface at least that Moses didn't forget where he came from, that that he recognized that he was one of God's people, but. Perhaps his faith did waver because he didn't circumcise the kid. We keep getting back to that, right? It's like, what's the deal? Why didn't you do it? Um, And and maybe his faith did waver. Um, And, and, you know, I'm sure, like I said, he just kind of wonders, like, well, gosh, you had me in this position of prominence in Egypt where I could really do stuff. I was, you know, I I could influence stuff. And now I'm out here herding sheep. I mean, what good is this? I mean, 40 years out there, that's got to be tough. Um, when we think about, I, I kind of looked at Moses and his cockiness a little bit in Exodus 2, and, and we can kind of see how things changed with him. In verses 11 through 15, this explains where how Moses was in Egypt. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw there an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely this thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. So there we see the cocky Moses, and then we see the not-so-cocky Moses 40 years later, Exodus 3, 5 through 6. This is when uh, Moses sees the burning bush and approaches it. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Now, granted, probably can't blame the guy, right? I mean, if we were confronted with God right before us in, you know, in a visible form, maybe we would react similar. But I was just taken by the fact that he hid his face. He didn't want to look at God. It's like he, he kind of knew that, gosh, I haven't been faithful. And now I'm standing here before God himself. And I don't want to even look at him. And I, I thought, like a comparison type of thing in a small way is with cookies in a cookie jar, right? So if you got a kid and he goes into the kitchen and he goes to grab a cookie out of the cookie jar, and then, you know, mom says, hey, don't eat that. You know, you're going to ruin your appetite for, for supper. And so, oh, okay. You know, and so he puts it away. I and mean, he might be a little disappointed, but hey, no big deal. Now, take the situation. If she told him in advance, don't eat any cookies from the cookie jar. And then he goes in there to get a cookie and gets caught. He's going to feel a little different, right? He's not going to be just like, oh, okay. It's going to be like, oh, I'm sorry. Okay, I was wrong, you know. So I kind of feel this way with Moses that that might be going on. A couple other short verses just to illustrate that. Um, Exodus 3, 10 and 11 so now, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites out of Egypt, but Moses said to God, "You got it, man. I'm your dude." No, he didn't say that. He said, "Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? I'm this guy been meandering in the desert. you know, I haven't even taken care of my own family's business, you know with this circumcision issue. I mean, there might I'm sure there's other things that he's thinking of, but You know, could it be that his faith had wavered in that time and that he he had just kind of let things fall apart? And it's like, I'm not the guy for this anymore. Um, One more thing, uh, Exodus 4, 12 to 13. And here God says, now go, I will help you speak and you will teach and I will teach you what to say. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. It's like he just felt this unworthiness. To do this so there might be some of this wavering of the faith that was going on here with uh with moses it could have been a combination of that and and his wife you know that influence that she had it's not really clear but one thing i wanted to kind of drill home with this we do experience things in our life that don't go the way we anticipate right i mean sometimes we can have this vision of you know, I, I really think God's doing this in my life. He's moving me this way. And all of a sudden, you find yourself in a totally different place. And you're going, what happened? This is not what I expected. It's like, God, where are you? You know, Did, did you forget about me? Are you there? Yeah. And, and we can question these things. And these can be times of testing. For Moses, it was 40 years. It's a long time of testing. And, and you know, God doesn't give us... Something in front of us saying exactly how long it's going to be for our time of testing, and it's just it's just it's there and it's in front of us. And he calls us to be faithful. And you know, have you noticed also that when we're in these times of testing, God has this tendency of taking us to the brink of our wanting to give up? You know, sometimes we start off pretty strong, going, "Yeah, I can do this. I can. I can handle this." And then it keeps going and going and going. Ah, this is getting tough. I, where are you god and and then you finally you know you can get to that point of just giving up and and you know we need to remain faithful don't give up stick with god we don't always know the plan but stick with him all right going on with our story i don't know how long i'm supposed to go here so all right anyway um so verses 9 through 12 and Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the lord had done to Israel and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the egyptians Jethro said Blessed be the Lord, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. I want to focus on one person here. Um, it talks about, uh, where in verse 11, Jethro says, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. The question that kind of brings up to me is, did he not know before? I mean, he was with Moses those 40 years. You would think maybe some something would have rubbed off a little bit there. Um and by the way, the word for, this is a side note, so the word for "no" is yada, okay? That's yada in the Hebrew. And uh, anyone here ever watched Jerry Seinfeld's show before? Yeah. Well, anyway, in that show, they're known for saying yada, yada, yada. So the question is, uh, was Jerry referring to this word and saying, I know, I know, I know? I don't yada, so I can't tell you. Well, anyway, um, so we don't know for sure if um, Jethro was having a conversion experience, but I think we kind of have to look at the evidence a little bit. He was called a priest of Midian, and as I said earlier, Midian was a pagan land. So it's very likely that he was a priest for a pagan type of god. Um, And it does seem that he responds to this good news about the deliverance of Israel from Egypt um, in, in, a, in a very positive way. And um, let's see here. And like Moses, I would say, let me see here, one second here. Okay, what I would say is, uh, like uh, I would say like Jethro, we as as people, also when we respond to the calling of Christ, we can respond in similar ways, I think, as well. And some of the things I, I look at here, um, you know, that there is a calling for this. I mean, we are called to, be, uh, to make disciples and to create disciples. And in doing that, you know, we are, are responding to the calling of God. And we find in the very next chapter, which we'll hit next week, um, there is this section that says in verse five and six, um, now, if you fully obey, excuse me now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. He's talking to Moses here about Israel, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites, so they were to be priests interceding for. Uh, the people, the world, bringing God to them. And, you know, we have that same calling, right? I mean, God calls us in the, in the Great Commission through Jesus. He, he tells us, you know, go out into all the world and make disciples. You know, and, and he, I think that really it seems like Jethro is just coming to realize who God is. And one note of, uh, one indication of that is in Exodus 18.10, he calls God by the name God called himself which is Jehovah, which is unique to the God of Israel. So it's not just like you know praise to the gods or anything. He is specifically looking at um, to God the Father himself. So, um, And I think what he's doing is he's setting aside all other gods. And, and we need to do that, right? We need to set aside other gods. And here's where you say, well, I don't have any other gods. I don't know what you're talking about. You know, I, I, I don't have a little idol in my, you know, in my room, which I bow down to. I don't do anything like that. But I would challenge us that, you know, when, before we, and particularly before we come to know Christ, we all have other gods. We at least have a God that is not the God of Scripture. We have a God that maybe is our, our genie in a bottle or maybe it's our punishing God. Or or maybe it's it's a God that just requires us to do all these things to gain his favor. Whatever it is, our distorted view of God is our God. And we can kind of carry that into our Christian lives as well, so we have to be careful of that, and we need to focus on the God of Scripture. So, But he identified with the God of the universe here. And the other part that I think what he's done is he God became very personal to him. All of a sudden, it was like, i have this relationship with god um and, and and he is the person who will deliver us just like christ is the one who delivers us from our sin and he's there in our weaknesses as well and so jethro is no, recognizing that and then the other part of that is that uh you know the fact that he demonstrates a commitment to god in that he immediately starts to sacrifice to um, you know, to God, and and he. Um, so when we commit ourselves to follow the Lord, there is a cost that comes with that. We have to consider that cost, and the fact that it's going to require sacrifice in our lives too. Sacrifice for some of those things that we just did naturally in our lives. Um, in this case, you know, th- there is a cost for Jethro too. He has to bring these things that have value um, for these burnt offerings. And the other part is that when he does this, you have Aaron and these other elders coming alongside. He wasn't just by himself. He wasn't an island. He needed people around him, just like we do as well. When we come to know Christ, it's not supposed to be a solitary experience. It's supposed to be something that we experience all together. And we need that for encouraging one another, um, helping us with our burdens, learning how to love, learning how to forgive, to be held accountable, and really to experience God as we're supposed to experience him. So all those things come into play. All right, I think I'm in the last section. Um, So let's see, we're picking up in verse 13 here. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, "'What is this that you are doing for the people? "'Why do you sit alone? "'And all the people stand around you "'from morning till evening?' "'And Moses said to his father-in-law, "'Because the people come to me to inquire of God "'when they have a dispute, "'they come to me and I decide "'between one person and another. "'I make them know the statutes of God and his laws.' "'Moses' father-in-law said to him, "'What you are doing is not good.' You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chief of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter that they bring to you, but oh, every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, you will be able to endure, and all his people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. So this judicial structure, which I kind of looked at it as, it was interesting to me because at first I thought about, this is kind of like America, you know, with our judicial structure. And then I thought about some more, I go, actually, it's kind of not. Because, you know, when you, you got these, I'll call them lower courts, right, the chiefs who were over the tens, the hundreds, the thousands. Um, and before you get to the kind of the Supreme Court, which is Moses. And in these um, lower courts, it never mentions an appeal process. So, you know, like in our courts, we have this situation where the case gets tried, and then you don't like the decision, so I'm going to appeal to the next court and then see if they give me the right decision. And you don't like that one, you go to the court above them. I don't see that happening here. I see it that they make a decision based off of their knowledge. And that really takes some humility, I would say. And it also allows them to say, I don't know the answer. I'm not going to render a judgment on this particular item. And so then they move it up to the next court. So it's interesting, just a little side thought there on on how they do that. Um, But this was also more than judging. This was also teaching. Because as we see in, in Exodus 19, verse 16, the second part of that, Um, When when uh, Moses is explaining what he does he says and I make them know the statutes of God and His laws and then Jethro himself He says in verse 20 and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which the They must walk and what they must do so once again, this is another discipleship type of experience which is going on this is Not just judging over things, but teaching these people God's laws and how to operate within God's plan. And so that was very important, particularly important for those that are going to be the ones to make these judgments. They had to know very well what it is to walk in God's ways. So once again, we are also called to disciple in the faith. Um, We are entrusted with that same type of responsibility. Of serving in the body of Christ and um, also equally important is being Christ in wherever we are right in outside of these walls of this church you know we're supposed to be that shining light for others as well and we can't do that if we're not learning and being a disciple and then discipling others as well so we want to kind of reproduce that now not everyone can serve in the same way I mean you got even here You know, Moses distinguishes they got some people who have greater authority than others. So there is a sense where I guess you have to kind of know your limitations. But I caution you on that word limitations, because sometimes I think we put up our own limitations as to what we think we can handle or not handle. And we have to recognize that sometimes fear gets in the way of our own own things that we think that we can do. So we have to be careful not to limit ourselves. And remember the words like of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. You know, the super apostle Paul, right? He could do anything. He's gone through it all. He's the big tough guy, the bold one. He's the one that we all model. Well, let's hear what he says. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. Paul? Really? Great fear and trembling? What was going on with that? You're kidding. I thought you you were so bold. You stood in front of magistrates. The guy was assailed by fears as well. And he needed the courage that comes from God only, and the Holy Spirit that's within him. He continues, to says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. So we're called as well to be ambassadors for Christ in whatever role that we take here in this church body and also outside in the world around us. And and, you know, make no mistake, it's not going to always be easy. I mean, when God's with you, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be smooth sailing. You're still going to have to deal with stuff. You're going to have to address fear. I mean, it, you know, uh, the Lord tells us many times uh, to be courageous, you know, fear not. Well, to be courageous, you got to face fear. And that's part of the Christian experience is to put that trust in in God that he will help to carry you through that as well. It's kind of like uh, you know, Pastor, he asked me to be ready to preach today. And uh what I expressed to him is that, you know, why I think I can do it, but I'm a little fearful about doing it. And his words to me, I'm gonna paraphrase were welcome to the club. So he, you know, here you think you got Pastor Gary week by week he's doing this. It's not easy. You know, I mean, you, he has to rely on the spirit within him to give him the power to preach the word as well. So kind of wrapping up here, um, Jethro recognized that, uh, you know, Moses, what Moses was doing was good as far as he was serving God, but it was too much. And and so same with us. We need to be examining our lives as well. Look at your priorities. I mean, you've got church, family, work, your Christian service, uh, volunteering, you've got friends, and even vacation. And all these things are part of our lives, and we need to maintain a balance. There's importance in all those things, but we have to have a balance. And the important thing is to weave Christ through all those things. It's not like we just go to church and then we shut everything off to go on our vacation or go to work, but we're carrying Christ with us in all of our experiences that we have in life. And look for others um, to come alongside and provide them the opportunity to help you along the way, to serve as well. Um, you know, as he said in verse 14, uh, 18, he says, You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. So we have Moses in danger of burning himself out. But if you notice, the people were also in danger as well. He says, You will certainly wear yourselves out, you and the people. So the people, they could get frustrated as well, disillusioned. You know, I mean, it's like, wow, why is he going to do it all? And I'm not getting my questions answered. He doesn't have time for me. And all these things where it just, it tells us, make sure we're sharing this. We're supposed to share this as a body of Christ, working together in whatever role we have. You know, we all have important roles in the body of Christ. And so don't overload yourself. And the other thing that Moses did, which was good, is he was an open to constructive criticism. I mean, Jethro says, hey, I got some advice for you, man. And Moses said, no, no, I got this. Don't worry. Uh, I don't need to hear that. You know, What do you know? You just became a Christian, as far as I know. I mean, you were this Midian guy, pagan thing. And you're telling me what to do? No, it's like Moses was humble. He, he listened to instruction. He, he considered it. And he took it to heart, and he put it into play. Jethro then leaves and goes back to his land. It uh, appears Zipporah and the kids are sticking around this time. Um, So just uh, some few thoughts as we leave Exodus 18. Uh, Keep the faith. You know, God is working in your life even when you don't know it. When you can't see it, he is there. um, When he's doing the things that maybe you wouldn't even expect that he's doing. Um, just stick, stick to the faith, keep the faith. The other thing, uh, seek to share God's word with others so that you're building disciples and you are also sharing that burden with others so that they can be disciplers as well. And finally, keep connected to the body of Christ and seek how you can serve the body yourself. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you have called us to be your people. Lord, just like the Israelites were called, identified as your people, you have singled us out, Lord. You've taken us, you've given us the faith we need to follow you. Lord, we ask that we would remain faithful to that calling. We ask, Lord, that we would seek you in all the things that we do that we would remember, Lord, that your ways are above all ways and that they are to be considered above anything before us. Father, thank you for your word. In Christ's name, amen.